Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Seaweed Brain. Today we have two brand new, very special guests. We have arguably the climax of the book in terms of what is technically the main plot. <laughs> we have maybe the final Persebeth moment of ever. <laughs> There's a lot going on, so stick around. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Wow, we honestly do have a lot going on today. I'm feeling really excited. I was feeling super hyper as I was reading today and rushing through making this outline. And I am starting to get some of that hyperness back right now. So I'm really excited to dive into this with you guys. Carter and I are joined today by two folks who are new to Seaweed Brain, but probably not new to you. It's DJ and Darian from the podcast of Poseidon. Hey, y'all. Hi, everybody. Hello. So... Tell us a little bit about your show, first of all, and then you can answer our usual kitschy guest questions. This is the first time DJ and I have ever been a guest on a podcast together, and I don't know what this energy is going to be like, but we're going to, if you want unfiltered, raw sibling energy, you're going to get it, because that's Podcast (laughs) of Poseidon. DJ and I are siblings, for reals, this is not a gimmick for our podcast, we are siblings. The Podcast (laughs) of Poseidon is our podcast in which we look into how ancient myths have become modern pop culture through the lens of Rick Riordan's Percy Jackson and the Olympian series. Right now, we are currently going through the Titan's Curse, which has been super fun because it's really neat to read these stories again and this... Rather than going chapter by chapter for us, we go myth by myth and really dig into like, what are those old stories? How are they different now? How are they different in the books? Do we like it? Do we don't? Why do we keep certain things and change certain things in time? And that's just what we talk about while also talking an awful lot about comic yes. books and video games. It's a lot of fun. I definitely enjoy it. It is a lot of fun. Aww. Do either of you have strong like parental associations with Poseidon or was it really, was the title like an alliteration choice? Because I respect it either way. So Darren came up with the title. Don't do this. It was her first title, and she I later came Don't do up this with to a me. better title in Don't my do this opinion. to me. <laughs> anyway. While we were in season three, so it was not useful to us at this time. But yes, I thought like Percy's the son of Poseidon. We are the podcast of Poseidon. Great. But when we did our Poseidon episode, we did both kind of realize we maybe have strong parental attachment to Poseidon as a father figure and the father figure who is there for you sometimes and disappoints you other times. <laughs> the episode got a bit real. Okay, great. Thank you for that little pitch for your sibling podcast. <laughs> Tell us about how you first got into the books. I got into them through Darian. <laughs> and I got into them. I was first introduced to them when I was in like sixth grade on a bus to a women's fun run with my mother and there was another youth on the bus reading one of the Percy Jackson books and it was Lightning Thief probably and my mom asked this kid what the book was and they described it as like mythology and stuff and I was like Darian that sounds really cool I bet you'd like that I'm like yeah I bet I would and I proceeded not to read it until I was in eighth grade and (laughs) no I I was a lot sooner than that I didn't read it for many years later I don't know remember exactly when I picked it up but I was reading them when Battle of the Labyrinth came out mm-hmm. because we were visiting our Nana in Texas and she bought Battle of the Labyrinth for us at a Barnes and Nobles. Aww. 
And DJ Darian just kind of got you into the books as well. Yeah, she was reading them at the, I don't know, I'm five years younger than her. So when she was in eighth grade, I was in third. So she's like, all right, here, read this. I'm like, oh, okay. And I read it and I'm like, no, this is kind of banging. And I've been hooked ever since. But luckily, I'm a slow reader. So every time I would start the series, whatever series it was, by the time I would finish the book, the whole series would be out. So I wouldn't have to wait. So I didn't have to wait between Mark of Athena and House of Mm-mm. Hades for that. That was that would have been hell. I can yeah. imagine waiting. Can you imagine? Can you imagine finishing <laughs> it the day it comes out and then that? Huh? I can't. How did each of you guys, when you were first reading the books in eighth grade, and when you know, I guess DJ has a head start on this, but how did you pronounce mm-hmm. Chiron? Oh, I knew it was Chiron. How? <laughs> Younger sibling intuition. I can't even think of a time I was pronouncing it wrong. I think the one that I got was mm. Charon. Oh, I yeah. always said Charon for the yeah. longest time. Right. I, I just didn't pronounce it. My brain does this thing where if I'm reading and there is a word that I do not know how to pronounce, those set of letters mean this thing. And then I will just keep going. Yeah. And never try to pronounce sure, it. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I honestly yeah. have had to do that a lot in the Magnus Chase books because yeah. <laughs> Norse words are very different from English words. <laughs> and hair ye, dude. Yeah. I do that to this day where we're like, oh, we have a bunch of Greek names to pronounce. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, I'll be able to say that. And on the podcast, I'm like, I can't say this word. And DJ's like, all right, hold up. What is it? How's it spelled? All right, that's how you pronounce it. And I'm like, cool. Thanks, man. Nice. Let this part out. That's a superpower, honestly. Mm-hmm. He's really good at deciphering because he looks up on Wikipedia and sees the little pronunciation guide, and he's actually really good at understanding how to read that. Like the phonics. <laughs> yeah, phonics. International phonetic alphabet slay. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, today we're talking about Piper. It's Piper's POV. I don't know if we mentioned that yet. So before we dive in, do either of you want to share thoughts, you know, preloaded biases for or against Piper or anything that you have in your heart about her? I didn't think much of Piper when I first read the books. Not even that I had a negative opinion of her. I just didn't think about her. And then going through, listening to like your podcast as you've been going through the whole series and then rereading this book, I think there's an interesting character buried underneath a lot of nonsense. Yeah, that's a great way of putting and I think, it. Sure. Thank you. Yeah. I think this particular section does a lot to elevate the interesting character that we didn't get to meet a lot of. While simultaneously highlighting a lot of that nonsense I was talking about. Absolutely. Absolutely. I actually, reading through all of the seven are great. (laughs) Even nowadays, I still love each and every one of them. Aww. And even Piper, too. I I do like Piper a lot. And like, yeah, sure, a little bit of nonsense. But I mean, a lot of characters in in his books are kind of nonsense (laughs) characters. (laughs) In my opinion. And while, yeah, I can get on board with the idea that like Piper really was a little like more shallow than the rest. So is Jason. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. But it, it's harder. It's harder to flesh out a character, especially in like the first book and like with the, even like these five books, when you also have six other characters to mm-hmm. try to flesh out while well, with Percy, Annabeth and partly Grover, because we don't really see him much in this new one. They got a whole five books and Percy alone got a whole five books of his own POV. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Fair, fair, fair. All right. So it's time. Let us embark (laughs) into this final Piper POV. This is the last time we, right? Yeah. This is the last time we hear from Piper in this book. We last left off, if we will recall, with Reyna epically destroying the evil and vicious, horrendous, everyone hates Orion. 
Mm-hmm. With the blessings of Athena and Bologna, she has a magical cape now. It's very exciting. But with the seven, we last left off going to find Asclepius. Leo threw the physician's cure into the bowels of Festus and the Argo too. And that was the last that we saw of mm-hmm. them as they were heading towards Athens. So now we are docking outside of Athens. And Piper says today, one way or another, their journey would end. Damn. That sounds pretty final. Mm-hmm. And and it is. Um, so when we get near Athens, we um, are having an encounter with quote unquote snake people. If you have remembered all of the monster encounters that we've had thus far in the books, there have been a lot of snake people. Traditionally in the past, they have been um, drachne, mm-hmm. these snake ladies, I guess yep. is the normal way that we'd refer to them. Generally though, these have like two like snakes instead of legs. They've been monsters. They've not been, I would say, super important to the books. Other than that, they're just kind of everywhere, much like a, I don't know, like a Zubat or something. Um, <laughs> like, that, that's yeah. the um, energy. Here we're being served something different. People, mm-hmm. the, 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 the seven are also a little confused, but they're like, oh, wait, these people only have one snake tail. Maybe let's let them on board and see what's happening. Talk or fight. Parlay, they decide to talk. perhaps. Talk or fight. <laughs> yeah. They brought cake. They brought, yeah, they brought bunt cake, which according to Leo mm-hmm. is super yummy. That's kind of cute. So the tea is basically, this is Kekrops. He was the original king of Athens before it was even called Athens back when it was Attica. This is a myth that's written about a lot because it has to, obviously the founding of Athens as a city. Herodotus, Ovid, lots of other folks mentioned King Kekrops. He was earthborn, which basically means he kind of just sprung up out of the dirt child of Gaia. Maybe Hephaestus was involved in some of the myths as a godly parent of his. It gets mostly mentioned in this POV, but he was the first king of Attica, and he was the one who adjudicated the whole shebang between Athena and Poseidon about who was going to be the patron of the city. So Poseidon created the well, Athena created the olive tree. Basically, King Kekrops was like, wait, was that wrong, Carter? It's correct. We should probably note that the well is made of salt water for mm. listeners who are confused about why a well would not be valued. It was a saltwater no, salt water. well, and also, like, nobody was there when it happened. So we were like, well, did it really happen, Poseidon? Um, and Kekrop was like, I don't know that you really did that. There isn't a giant trident mark in the ground where something important is going to happen later, Persebeth-wise. Um, but anyway, the favor goes to Athena. The city becomes Athens. This isn't quite mentioned in the POV. He's also uh, kind of attributed to the institution of marriage, of ownership, of property, of writing, abolishing human sacrifice in the worship of the gods. These are all sort of things that he represented in the myth. So he was kind of like a founder of Athenian civilization, Mm -hmm. which I think could have maybe played up a little bit more here because basically what happens is... They talk to him. He suggests uh, traveling under the tunnels to get to the Acropolis so that they don't attract all the monsters. And we find out he is lying. He's working for Gaia. It's the whole shebang. Blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Predictable. Yeah. Yeah. Kekrops is not a particularly compelling villain for us here, not just because his approach is boring, but also because it takes them almost no effort to defeat him. As it turns out, um, they're not sure whether or not to believe him when he suggests this plan but Piper, because she is unsure, decides to begin singing. Not just um, singing. I had totally forgotten yeah. about this. Not just mm-hmm. singing, charm singing, and it's Gershwin. And it's the seminal classic Porgy and Bess. <laughs> yeah, the song is Summertime. It's a standard. You know it. We all know it. We're not going to sing it here. <laughs> she sings a few verses, and, mm-hmm. and then she turns to Kekrops, and she's like, so what's actually going on? And he immediately um, reveals that it was, it was all a trap. But also... 
even though it is all a trap, she keeps questioning him. And, he, and she's like, well, like, is everything else a lie? Like, are there actually monster armies waiting for us if we try to take any other route? And he's like, no, that's that's also true. Mm-hmm. So I guess you're just a little bit... I guess you just have to walk into the trap. I don't know. And they're like, well, I guess we do. Mm-hmm. And so and so off we go. Um, First of all, this is such a great opportunity, I feel like, for a little bit more drama. Just because he is like the founder of Athenian civilization. He represents mm-hmm. like a lot of what we care about when it comes to human culture and like yeah. the developments of creatures on earth. Mm-hmm. And yet he's just kind of like, Gaia's going to give me my city back. And Piper's like, no, she's not. She's lying. And that's the whole conversation. <laughs> and he's like, okay. Yeah. He's like, oh yeah. no, Gershwin. <laughs> I feel like there was there was possibility. Obviously, there's a lot going on in this book. It, it would be a lot to add another thing right here, right now. But, mm-hmm. you know, a little more opportunity for at least somebody being drawn to Gaia a little bit more. Somebody no. seeing a little bit more of Gaia's POV. Like I think that's right. Yeah. Either he should be an ally. I think that would have been more interesting. Like a legitimate ally. Or at the very least, like, it's weird that he's not written to be smarter. Or, like, have opinions or insights beyond just a base level craving for power as opposed to... This is the interaction between Gaia and civilization, which I am interested in. Or, like, whatever. Like, he should be trying harder to convince them or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, this character represents, like you said, Erica, everything that human civilization became, basically, in this, like, whole ordeal. And basically was forgotten about and rejected by human civilization that's a pretty compelling reason to be like, eh, dealt with the humans. Gaia sounds great. Sure. I want you all gone. And rather than just, I just want the city back. It's more of a personal, like, you've already destroyed my city. Like, I gave you human civilization, and this is what you did with it. Yeah, he leans a little bit towards that, like, well, humans rose up and then drove us underground and forgot about us. Mm-hmm. But I think that could be played up with a little bit more. That it really, it isn't yeah. just Gaia who is seeking to yeah. take over everything. It's Gaia and all of the monsters who have been treated like poop. And yeah. if we were to continue that that thought. Well, it's because they're monsters. <laughs> but we just had the whole freaking book where we were like, who's evil? Who's not evil? Whose point of yeah. view is valid? Who shouldn't? Who should I murder and who should I not murder? Mm-hmm. Uh, don't murder Bob the Titan. <laughs> or Small Bob. Um, or Small Bob. Talk or fight. Etc. True, 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 true. Mm-hmm. Anyway, those are just my things. I was like, headcanon, what if Persebeth was changed in Tartarus to really becoming Dark Persebeth? And Dark Persebeth mm-hmm. decided to fight on the side of Gaia and like work against the seven. Like, what if there was a little bit more Or all <laughs> Also, in sort of the band that you were going to earlier, I think that this would have been a good time for Kekrops to come and fully cement Percy and Annabeth's conversion into, like, radical pacifism, perhaps, where mm. they decide, actually, we are going to be sitting out the last battle with Kekrops because something, something, th- there is no justice in war. I don't know. I think yeah, something. <laughs> any number of things that could have happened that did not happen. But I would like to read a little section from this because <laughs> this is maybe the last time we actually get real dialogue from the seven before we're off to Athens, which is of course going to be the site of Mm -hmm. the final war. Gaia's, this is not a spoiler. Gaia's going to wake up. We all know she's going to wake up. The blood of Olympus. Miraculously not waking up. The titular role is about to be spilt here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So before that, we need to have just everyone jumping into dialogue a little bit. I do not have a page number for this. Do I? This is page 381. Snake people do not drink milk, Kekrop said. We are lactose intolerant reptiles. Me too, Frank said. I mean, lactose intolerant, not a reptile. 
Though I can be a reptile sometimes. Kakarops sounded bitter, like he regretted his decision. My people were the original Athenians, the Gemini. Like your zodiac sign? Percy asked. I'm a Leo. No, stupid, Leo said. I'm a Leo. You're a Percy. <laughs> that is the best joke in the whole of anything regarding him written these books. Love it, Leo, dude. Super good. We at Podcast Upside feel like that joke is better than any of the damn jokes from Titan's Curse. <laughs> They can all be funny. Yeah, it's better than the damn joke. Yeah. It's like... funnier. The damn joke is important for other reasons. That's a funnier line. It's really funny. I'm a Leo. You're a Percy. Oof. So for good. all of the uh, for all of the whatever fan hype about Leo being a prankster. Yes. This is like the one time where I've been like, okay, maybe maybe there are points. Maybe, but like not even points. Just like this is the one time I really found him funny, <laughs> and it's a one liner. But that's all right. <laughs> It's a one-liner that makes fun of astrology, so obviously Carter thought it was really funny. <laughs> Virgo, you yeah, dirty, dirty I'm Virgo. Homophobic. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, okay. Also, if we've been keeping track, if anyone's remembering, the last time we were in Piper's POV, we went on the like epic girlfriend quest with Piper and Annabeth, where yeah. Annabeth was convinced uh, to follow her emotions, and Piper really stepped into her like Aphrodite fear love go with your gut kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and that gets revisited a lot in this POV, as it should be. Mm -hmm. On 383, Annabeth caught Piper's eye. She asked a silent question. What's your feeling? Piper still wasn't used to that, the way Annabeth looked to her for advice now. Ever since Sparta, they'd learned that they could tackle problems together from two different sides. Annabeth saw the logical thing, the tactical move. Piper had gut reactions that were anything but logical. Together, they either solved the problem twice as fast, or they hopelessly confused each other. I think that's adorable. I love that. It's, it's really good. so good. I'm glad we get that. I love this use of Aphrodite as more than, oh, love and romance and, and makeup. Not that those things are unimportant, but like they feel like so shallow. And then getting into Piper being like instinct, like this deep human instinct of, it doesn't seem logical, but I'm following my gut because my brain is actually collecting a lot of information all at once that I'm not processing based on my past experience and just what I think. Let's do this and just go for it and jump in. And uh, y'all talked about, and it's not like that. That's insane. That's crazy. Mm -mm. Don't do that. We plan. Yeah. And so I love getting that from Piper. And I feel like that's what I mentioned earlier. That I feel like that's where we get a lot of like, oh, this is Piper's character. I really wish we got this idea of this girl who follows her gut and her instinct, whether that makes sense or not, she's just going to go for it. I wish we met her in Lost Hero and got to hang out with her this whole series. Yeah. And maybe she and Annabeth clashed a little <laughs> bit more because she was gut instinct and Annabeth is is calculating. And then in this book, they finally came together in, in the fear temple and mm. realized, oh, we aren't at odds. Yeah. We're just two sides of a coin yeah. and we should work together. One isn't better than the other. Yeah. That could have been a nice arc to ending Piper's misogyny. Mm -hmm. I think it comes down to Rick didn't know what to do with Piper for a vast majority. Yeah. Of the We've all. Series. Yeah. Very it that, definitely, definitely feels that. like that. And mm -hmm. then it's like we see Piper. I'm not going to get into it too deeply, but we see her like later in um, Trials of Apollo and she is absolutely her own character and absolutely mm -hmm. just a great character. Yeah, too. she's very cool in Trials. Everyone's on their own journey. Mm -hmm. True. I would have loved to be there for Pipers, but it's fine. Whatever. Yeah. I also feel like <laughs> this dynamic is like the most solid duo within the seven that is mm -hmm. like not Persebeth. I understand mm -hmm. what these two 
how they operate together. Their I understand their dialogue with each other, their their strengths and their weaknesses as a pair. And it's because they went on a quest together, mm-hmm. obviously. But people have gone on side quests who I don't understand yeah. their relationship or yeah. how they work together <laughs> as a team. And these two make a lot of sense to me. And I feel like now it clicks. I have a full picture yeah. of it as a reader. It's very good. Yeah. Okay. So the plan. What's the plan? At this point, Piper does some more charm speak Gershwin interrogation and we have decided that we need to send a team of three demigods with um Kekrops under charm speak spell so Piper's obviously going to be one of the three uh, down underneath Athens to try and sneak in maybe destroy some of the catapults so that the rest of the team can show up with the ship that doesn't then get destroyed by these basically anti-aircraft missiles mm-hmm. and then um back them up with supporting artillery and firepower right that plan makes sense when they're talking about who's going to go, we decide that it should probably be Percy and Annabeth. Because, of course, we were just reminded of this founding myth. Mm-hmm. There are remnants of uh, Poseidon and, and Athena's energy in the city still. Particularly underneath the Acropolis mm-hmm. from back then when they had these original fights. And from the fact that there are still ancient, ancient temples to uh, Poseidon and Athena underneath the Acropolis. So that's the plan. We're going to do Piper, Annabeth, and Percy with the sort of kidnapped, transfixed... Enchanted. Oh, incapacitated, enchanted um, Kekrops while everyone else gets ready. Although it sounds like Annabeth also has additional plans. Annabeth pulls some other people aside real quick mm-hmm. uh, to dish some other stuff out the way that she always does. Plans on plans on plans. We're ready. Yeah. Emotional charm speak from Piper. Plans from Annabeth. It's going great. Percy goes, until we meet again at the Acropolis, bro, I'll be the one killing giants. Why? why? Who is he this? Literally Who are says, you? Bro. When? Oh, it's when? It's, it's just bro Jason. He says it only to Jason. <laughs> it's what? like a joke. The way that he does not pick up Frank's hand and lift him up out of his chair and say, yo, bro, I'll be the one fighting giants. He does not address it's Leo as only bro. To, it's only Jason. It's his bro. <laughs> Jason is his only bro. <laughs> because, I mean, to be fair, Jason also went through what Percy went through a little bit with the start of this whole Heroes of Olympus. They shared that kind of kinship, and they're like, okay, we're also leaders of both camps, so let's fucking get it done. You know what? That's fair. But is that what Leo says to himself when he sees Percy refer to only Jason as his bro? Oh my God. Is he like, well, they just have a special bond? <laughs> Leo's only have. thinking about Calypso right now. That's so Leo's true. Leo's, yeah, only thinking about Calypso. And when he sees Percy, Percy is so far above and he's like, no, I, I'm like super, like, Jason is my bro. Percy is like just uh, a god. Essentially. I forgot to mention <laughs> yeah. that when Piper sings, Leo's first and only reaction is wow that was really good almost as good as calypso and he says it out loud too and everything to everyone girl down terrible yeah. he needs to stand up and shut up leo knows three women and one of yeah. them is hera what are you talking about hazel's there he knows hazel Hazel's pretty also good. there now that he doesn't have a physical attraction to hazel she's no longer a woman she's just there <laughs> she is just hazel they're bros I don't know where y'all stand on wanting to discuss this kind of thing on your podcast. And if you don't, we can definitely bail. Because when Piper starts singing, she's like, oh, she's not thought, I can use Charm Sneak and Charm the Snake. She's remembering how her name is Piper because her grandfather was like, oh, she's going to be able to learn all the songs, even the song of the snakes. And it's very like tapping into her Cherokee heritage. How do y'all feel about that and the way these books are doing it? Because it's interesting we have Piper who has a lot of this stuff and we could talk about how like maybe not always great, but that doesn't exist for anybody else who has 
non-white Western European heritages. We touched down on the Chinese bit of Frank a little bit in uh, Sun of Neptune. I guess it makes sense that as far as people who are written as non-white book characters, that at least the myths of Piper's heritage are brought in because of the fact that we are in America, Mm -hmm. the land called America, formerly known as Turtle Island. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about the flame of Western civilization being here and that if the Western gods are here, what does that mean for the American gods? Mm-hmm. Not the Neil Gaiman ones, not but, you know, <laughs> the ones who were here before a colonization. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that of all the seven, that Piper would be the one to specifically be able to invoke myths from her culture. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been fire if all of the demigods were mm-hmm. allowed to bring in their own figures that that maybe had played a part. But I don't know that in the world building of the yeah, Ryan universe that, that it would have been as relevant just based on like the gods you know mm-hmm. physically being in america yeah yeah it's hard because i i like it i also acknowledge that it was not done as well as it should have been or handled as carefully in the writing process as it should have been but simultaneously i appreciate that it's there because i do think it's interesting for plot i guess is the weak <laughs> answer i have there it for is myself. interesting like, for plot. i find it fascinating it, it just seems like this whole scene really is just for plot specifically cat crops like cat crops is not a great villain because he shows up as a guide and it's just like oh you probably could have replaced him with a banana that glows you through the darkness of this and yeah it would have been fine (laughs) a glowing hairbrush exactly just it's whatever it could have just absolutely nothing like cat craps was such a nothing character Mm -hmm. yeah totally i think that this mention of piper you know living up to her grandpa's prediction about her name playing out this cherokee myth Mm -hmm. also you know, including the part of the myth that involves the sacrifice we're about to lead up to. Mm-hmm. I think it mirrors Reina's previous POV really well yeah. because Reina's POV was all about her family uh, living up to her family's name, shedding the things that she didn't want to be a part of her heritage, but then also like really t- grabbing a hold of the rest of it. And for Piper, she has a pretty epic hero monologue at the end of this POV as well about mm-hmm. both sides of her family. Oh, mm-hmm. I love that one. So I love that they're all thinking a lot about their heritage, both the godly side and the non-godly side. And as story, it makes sense because when Piper is first introduced, these are all things that she talks about. Like that that god-awful first book, flawed as it is, like half of the time that Piper is in her perspective, she's just telling stories about her father and about their interactions and about the memories that Mm -hmm. they shared of the grandfather. And it makes sense that we would call this back and that we would have some sort of reflection on that and incorporation of those ideas and that huge part of her life as we're about to go into the final uh, conquest, especially given that we maybe a little bit dropped these ideas and these progressions in the past couple of books. <laughs> I mean, should we segue from that to this section where they do all talk about their families? Like, yeah, on page 393, she thinks about her dad, literally, like, and this is such a sweet paragraph. She wondered what her father was doing right now. It would be the middle of the night in California. Maybe he was asleep or doing a late night TV interview. Piper hoped he was in his favorite spot, the porch off the living room, watching the moon over the Pacific, enjoying some quiet time. Piper wanted to think he was happy and content right now, in case they failed. She thinks about her friends at Camp Half-Blood. She wished she had taken more advantage of her life, appreciated things more. She would always be grateful for her family aboard the Argo too, but she had so many other friends and relatives she wished she could see one last time. Do you guys ever think about your families? She asked. It was a silly question, especially on the cusp of a battle. Piper should have been focused on their quest, 
not distracting her friends. But they didn't chide her. Percy's gaze became unfocused. His lower lip quivered. My mom, I... I haven't even seen her since Hera made me disappear. I called her from Alaska. I gave Coach Hedge some letters to deliver to her. I... His voice broke. She's all I've got. Her and my stepdad, Paul. And Tyson, Annabeth reminded him. And Grover. And yeah, of course, Percy said. Thanks. I feel so much better. You have to read Annabeth's part. Okay, I'll keep going. Uh, (laughs) Probably shouldn't have laughed, but she was too full of nervousness and melancholy to hold it in. What about you, Annabeth? My dad, my stepmom and stepbrothers. She turned the dragon bone blade in her lap. After all I've been through in the past year, it seems stupid that I resented them for so long. And my dad's relatives. I haven't thought about them in years. I have an uncle and a cousin in Boston. Percy looked shocked. (laughs) You with the Yankees cap? You've got family in Red Sox country? Annabeth smiled weakly. I never see them. My dad and my uncle don't get along. (laughs) Some old rivalry. I don't know. It's stupid what keeps people apart. Family in Boston! (laughs) Family in Boston? (laughs) Why are we suddenly talking about this? What does that mean? I love it. I love this. It's It's so much lighter than the Apollo stuff, you know? I think it's really cute. It's sprinkled. It's easy. You blink and you miss it if you're not paying attention. Mostly because Annabeth's appearance at the beginning of Magnus Chase is peak Annabeth. (sighs) It is so good. So good. So delicious. I remember when those books were announced and it was like, oh, Magnus Chase and the gods of Asgard. And it was like, Magnus Chase? <laughs> Chase, like, Anna, because it wasn't outright saying, Rick wasn't like, this is about Annabeth's cousin. It was just, here's the name of the book series. And it took a little while before I was confirmed that, holy shit, family in Boston! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's... It's that family. We've been waiting for this from Annabeth, though. Not the not the family in Boston part, but, um, yeah. like... <laughs> <laughs> no, the step-siblings and stepmom. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, like, especially since Titan's Curse, it seems like she's mostly been in that book a lot of the way there in that journey where we met her dad and we saw the family dynamic and we were like mm-hmm. oh oh interesting i wonder if this is all going to work out because it seems like this is a little bit more in her head than perhaps in actual mistreatment that is ongoing and present in their family mm-hmm. it feels good it feels good this feels like someone who you know has literally been to helen back she's done some thinking she knows what's important to mm-hmm. her i love it it's so simple yeah yeah it is. It's nice. Uh, we have step-siblings. We have a stepmom and stuff. And the way that family blended was not super easy. It was really rough period of our lives when that happened. And so I personally know what it's like to really resent step-family for just not being who you wanted them to be mm. or who you would rather have in that, that situation. So I really do like Annabeth's journey to analyzing like what what actual barriers there are and what are the barriers she built because she was not having her needs fulfilled as a child and then projected some bigger things and seeing like in Titan's Curse mainly, but also like seeing the outcome of that is like, she hesitates before she's like, oh, my dad and my stepmom and my step, like acknowledging that that's her family who she wishes she could see now mm-hmm. too. It's very healing. Were, were they step siblings or were they half siblings? I thought. Oh, she does call them her. Does she say? I don't have. She says steps. She page. says steps. Did step. I miss say? Oh. Did she say steps? Yeah, I she thought they step. were her half. I'm siblings. pretty sure they're half twins. I think it's just a typo. They are half siblings. Yeah, just a typo. Like when Reyna claims that she was on Calypso's island. 
True. Oh, yeah. really? That was a thing. Oof. Yeah. There's a thing no, in Tragic Hollow when she's reflecting. She, she says Calypso's Island, but it's Cersei's Island, and it's clearly just a mistake, and no one caught it in the editing process. Or maybe did Reyna spend a little time on Calypso's Island? Oh, oh. what? Just, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. I do think that sadly, beautifully, tragically, sad, beautiful, tragic, as Taylor would say, it's time for us to reach the final Persebeth moment of the Heroes of Olympus, of anything. I'm so glad that we get to be on Seaweed Brain I know, it's for this great. moment. This is awesome. It is an absolute honor to be here for this. So we're Genuinely. just going to step back. We're going to be quiet. And we're just going <laughs> to let you do what your podcast Welcome is. Welcome to with. church, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> Please Preach. open your books to page... Everybody, yeah, please get the Holy Bible out of the pew in front of you and flip to page yep. 395 for reading from the Psalm of Piper. Um. <laughs> there, there's a little bit of setup we should do. So obviously it's the three of them down there. It's Piper, it's Annabeth, and Percy. You know we're in Piper's perspective. Piper is telling us that as they're down there in the dark, they're holding hands. Piper gives us a little aside about how she mm. wishes that Jason was there so that she could hold somebody's hand. Girl... She wishes she could okay. hold Annabeth's hand. Girl, shut up. You know. <laughs> it's okay. You can say it. She also says, quote, heck, she'd even settle for Leo. End quote. My girl is lonely. It was bad for her. That's okay. It's hard to be like, oh, this couple is bonding and emotional support. And you're a little bit like, I also need some support right now. Yeah. Okay. I'm just not here. It's fine. I bet Piper has like really soft hands because she's a you child she of Aphrodite does, and it probably really bothers her that her hands are like really soft and like not calloused. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Calluses just, they just wear right off. It is wild how much of the weird like this doesn't vibe Piper Jason stuff just makes so much more sense in a post uh, Burning Maze and Trials of Apollo, but also acknowledging that that did not exist. That was not actually the end game. It was just this really amazing, like, it's like Luke and Leia were not actually siblings in the first two Star Wars movies. When they were written, anything that was weird is like, Lucas decided that uh, Leia's the sibling because he didn't want to do three more movies where we went and found Luke's actual sister. So, eh, it's Leia. She's the only other woman in the galaxy. And that doesn't work. <laughs> whereas the, actually, Piper's a lesbian works so much more. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah. it's kind of amazing. And I do appreciate how that can happen when you get to know your characters for real. Yeah, I definitely feel like when it comes to writing, I definitely subscribe to the idea of characters exist in the ether and, you know, like writers, they happen to pluck them out and like channel Mm -hmm. through them, but they're always there and you just have to discover them fully. And Piper was always a lesbian. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, absolutely. I actually, um, how I realized I was ace was because I was writing a character very like outgoing and jovial and social. And I was like, I want you to have like a romantic partner. Like I want you to have that. And every time I try to write him in a romantic partner, it just didn't work. It was super weird. It fell apart. And I'm like, why isn't mm. this working? I've written other romantic partners before. And finally in my head, the character was like, I'm ace. And I was like, oh shit, you're ace. And then I started like, what does that mean? And I did like more like, what does being ace mean? And I was like, yeah, Amir's ace. That makes sense. And then I was like, is Darian ace? And she is. That's so beautiful. It's like, wait, is this a self-insert character? <laughs> Kinda. So, yes, characters will tell you things about them 
if you listen and let them and don't force them to be something that they're not. Yeah. But sometimes it takes a little while because they don't want to open up to you yeah. right away. They don't know you. You're a stranger. Also, you got deadlines. Trying to torture them for your entertainment. Also, Disney Hyperion <laughs> is giving you deadlines. So who who has the time to find out whether or not Piper's a lesbian? It's it's hard. Okay, Carter, finish our lead up here. We have some handling. We also have some brief moments of trauma bonding that I think are actually a, a useful and important setup. Because as we are down in these tunnels where Gaia is about to awaken, you can hear the heartbeat. Percy and Annabeth's first reaction is to remind us of Tartarus. They're like, this is the same thing. Because of course it is. Because the way that we in this world are going to conceive of these primordial beings that are not really gods even, that are just uh, manifestations of components of the universe, it's going to be the same. And the re-experiencing of trauma that you see in them is also, I think, an important reminder of what they went through and an important setup for what we're going to get. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then they walk through a membrane of mucus and they pop out in the Acropolis, Ugh. question mark? Um, caves. The caves. Okay, 395. Annabeth ran her hand along some marks on the ground, a jagged crow's foot shape as long as a human body. The area was lumpy and white, like stone scar tissue. This is the place, she said. Percy, these are the trident marks of Poseidon. Hesitantly, Percy touched the scars. He must have been using his extra, extra large trident. This is where he struck the earth, Annabeth said. Where he made a saltwater spring appear when he had the contest with my mom to sponsor Athens. So this is where the rivalry started, Percy said. Yeah. Percy pulled Annabeth close and kissed her. Long enough for it to get really awkward for Piper, <laughs> though she said nothing. She thought about the old rule of Aphrodite's cabin. That to be recognized as a daughter of the love goddess, you had to break someone's heart. Piper had long ago decided to change that rule. Percy and Annabeth were a perfect example of why. You should have to make someone's heart whole. That was a much better test. When Percy pulled away, Annabeth looked like a fish gasping for air. The rivalry ends here, Percy said. I love you, wise girl. Annabeth made a little sigh, like something in her ribcage had melted. Percy glanced at Piper. Sorry, I had to do that. Piper grinned. How could a daughter of Aphrodite not approve? You're a great boyfriend. Annabeth made another <laughs> grunt of her. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Classic. Very good moment. I'm so glad Rick took that opportunity. Like, we're at the Acropolis or in Athens. Uh, remember that thing from the first book about they couldn't be friends because of this rivalry? Well, let's just bring that circle to a full close, why don't we? It's so cute. It's, it's so cute. Good. It's also it's the second solid. time in this book that someone's plot has come to a full circle and they were not the POV we were getting and Piper just had to watch it happen. <laughs> I, I literally, it's so cute and I feel so bad for Piper. <laughs> like, it's both of the same time. Right? So. Yeah. It's also cute okay? because we, Carter and I literally just, by the time this comes out, I think it will already be out. Carter and I just, guested on the newest olympian for sea of monsters chapter six which is the chapter Whoa. where they do the chariot races and percy and annabeth are like let's <gasps> work together because the chariot was actually the one time that our parents worked together and didn't have their <laughs> rivalry and then of course that like fell apart and they've just been on this yeah. long long journey and their parents have played such an important part in that it's it's beautiful yeah it's very solid very good you love to it see works. It. it just works. 
Yeah, I've been thinking a lot also about like the way that they've inherited their personalities from their godly parents and like how Percy has that Mm -hmm. like absolutely inflammatory, you never know which side of him you're going to get easily riled Mm -hmm. thing. And Annabeth has the very logical, calculating, bit of a cold bitch thing. And then in many ways, they shouldn't get along. And yet they they do. do. So well. It's that thing that's like every relationship has a golden retriever and a feral cat. (laughs) (laughs) You got a balance. Needs to be a balance. Where does that leave us? We're at the Acropolis executing Annabeth's plan now that we've gotten here. Frank shows up. Frank's a swarm of bees. This is a callback, as you might remember, to the son of Neptune when we were speculating about what Frank's powers might be. And there's all these talks about how one of his ancestors Mm -hmm. fought Hercules like a swarm of bees, and now he is a swarm of bees, but also Percy rightly is asking, wait, what are the mechanics of that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Hold on a second. Why do you a swarm of bees, but you're only like one bear? Is one of the bees your hand? (laughs) Um, No one knows these things. (laughs) Percy doesn't understand it, and neither do I. (laughs) I'm glad Rick um, lampshaded this for us, because we did actually (laughs) have Mm -hmm. a long conversation about this that we could not resolve, and it's nice to know that no one can resolve it either. Um, no. Owen has done a whole episode about it, and there is no resolution. <laughs> <laughs> Hazel, of course, is casting the mist from afar, also said they like monsters, because their goal at this point, as you might remember from, I don't know, probably 30 minutes ago now, when we last talked about this, <laughs> they're trying to go and destroy the Onagers. So they're off. They're doing it. They're cutting up some cores. They're splitting up even further at this point, also. So while Piper is off on her own, in disguise, cutting these up, she turns around to find that Percy and Annabeth have been captured. Gasp. Despite all of Percy Jackson's power, despite everything he had survived, in the end he was helpless against the sheer strength of the giant and the inevitability of the prophecy. Oof. Yeah, what else is new, Percy? That's your life. Yeah, well, that, that was the thing, right? Is I wanted, I wanted to know how they got caught, right? How, the whole oh, point yes. of them being there was to mask their scent because the whole thing smells like Athena and Poseidon. I don't know. There was oh. nothing they could do. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just get snatched up because they have to because it's the prophecy and there's nothing they can do about it. Well, I think the giants do talk about they knew Percy and Annabeth would come. And I don't know if it's the giant who's supposed to fight the fate who can see in the future that no, they were going to come and where they would be and how to grab them or or what. But they, they knew they were coming, yeah. so... Yeah, Ensalada says, I knew these two would lead the assault. I understand how they think. Athena and Poseidon, they were just like these children. They both came here thinking to claim this city. Their arrogance has undone them. Yeah, but uh, guess who they didn't know was coming? Uh Piper. I was like, who? (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) What? Thank you, DJ. Yeah, this giant's read does not land, to be honest. I don't think they're right about why Percy and Annabeth came, and obviously they also did not know Piper was there, no. and that's a little embarrassing for them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but man, Piper just kills it up here. Peak of her powers. Piper has this line in her internal monologue as well, where she says, quote, For once, being Piper McLean, the daughter of Aphrodite, the one nobody took seriously, might play to her advantage. Now, is this incredibly on the nose yes yep have we dealt with this theme before in more or less the same way many times many times in these books and yet is it still satisfying do i still want to read this passage as we're about to see piper rashly jump into battle and cut somebody's hands off yes 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 yes, yes. <laughs> please we need to be hammered over the head with this it's taken this long for that arc to come to fruition. Like, I'm still, I'm still yeah. needing to feel the full satisfaction <laughs> of her mm-hmm. taking herself seriously. Yes, it's true. 
for me, this whole like, well, they get captured because it's their fate. And also the blood of Olympus is just gonna get spilt because it's mm-hmm. in the prophecy. Mm-hmm. I really like that playing into that resigned nature. And we're like, well, it's just fate. We just mm-hmm. have to play along with it and then see what happens. There's no use trying to run away from it. And also the part about Annabeth and Percy doing exactly what their parents did mm-hmm. in a way um <laughs> even though of course the rivalry ends here mm-hmm. but still like we continue to perpetuate these same stories blah 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 because yeah. it's human nature blah, blah 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 i think that that is a good notion to bring up at the end of this book yeah especially as we are about to meet thune thune for those of you who don't remember is the giant meant to oppose the fates because we need to be reminded of inevitability and prophecy the whole thing he's extra powerful he's extra scary but like not in a giant axe way and like a kind of way um you know what i mean um (laughs) thune's about to spill the blood of olympus right now Mm -hmm. um in a vaguely biocentralist way but um piper um Piper stops it. Piper um, gets in there and... Piper has a big damn hero moment. Piper cuts his hand off. That's sickening. There's an axe in the hand and Piper just all of it. Off. Gone. Onto the floor. With her With sword, her sword that she has now and knows how to use and what's not here? What's not being used in this moment? What have I not laid eyes on? It's a cornucopia. The cornucopia. Does she hit Thune with a hand? <laughs> no. She cuts his hand off with a sword. I do not support the glorification of no, murder. I do support the, the empowerment, empowerment of, women. of women. DJ, uh, you don't listen to Seabird Bench, so you don't know this. He doesn't listen right. to anybody's podcast. Don't feel bad. Uh, you I don't, don't feel, feel bad. bad. <laughs> Erica and Carter hate the cornucopia. Just hate oh, okay. it. We remember when it got sacrificed. Okay. We celebrated. No we jeered. I think it was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny once. I was there for it. The first time when they're leaving the island, she shoots the ham at the goat man. Big fan of goof, yeah. all right? It was a big goof. It was a big goof and a gaff. I loved it. I thought it was great. Piper stabbing the giant between the eyes is better than hitting him with a hand. Yes. I concur. Also, in case we forgot, Piper, like, we're going full circle with all these. The sword, for our listeners who might not remember, was also stolen from a man who was trying oh, yeah. to hit on her. This is the sword of one of the Boreads. Which also is why, as she's using it in battle, she, like, there is frost that appears. She can freeze the giants with the sword mm-hmm. because it's from one of the North Winds. That's pretty sickening. And, of course, she also has her knife that we've also forgotten about. Piper's just been, like, cycling through these weapons. She's going through it. She's a woman of the town. Mm-hmm. She has a roster. She she pulls out <laughs> Catropis, throws it, stabs Enceladus forehead or something there's like blood in his eyes i'm not totally sure where he's yeah where the daggers landed but it's somewhere in the upper head yeah it hits him in the forehead and it starts dipping. that's sick mm-hmm. blah 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 fight 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 battle battle <laughs> well i love when she saves annabeth by like yelling at the giantess to miss oh yeah that was pretty sick that's a good use of charm speak like this whole yeah. this is a great use of piper mclean's charm speak and she's going with her gut. Mm-hmm. In case you forgot, this whole thing is following the gut because she jumped by herself into the middle of the crowd of giants and cut somebody's hand off. Don't throw herself not, into the fray. Not a strategic move, but that's all right. <laughs> the problem is that Annabeth has been cut already, and so the hashtag Blood of Olympus is about to get spilt. Yeah. The Blood of Olympus. But you can do anything about it. Fate. Darian, will you give us a little bit of a reading on page 404? The giants are all like, what the hell is going on? It's all chaotic. But they're starting to, like, regroup a little bit. Mm-hmm. And they're all starting to, like, kind of step to Piper. And so she's threatening him. She's just using the ice thing. She's like, who wants to be the next popsicle? Who wants to go back to Tartarus? That seemed to hit a nerve. 
the giant shuffled uneasily, glancing at the frozen body of Paraboria. And why shouldn't Piper intimidate them? Aphrodite was the most ancient Olympian, born of the sea and the blood of Uranus. She was older than Poseidon or Athena or even Zeus. And Piper was her daughter. More than that, she was a McLean. Her father had come from nothing. Now he was known all over the world. The McLeans didn't retreat. Like all Cherokee, they knew how to endure suffering, keep their pride, and when necessary, fight back. This was the time to fight back. Finally acknowledging that Aphrodite is the most primordial Olympian. Finally. Finally. In the 10th book. In the 10th book, acknowledging that she is the oldest. Of course, you should be afraid of her. She's Aphrodite. Yeah. Let's remember this passage uh, when we get back to Jason's POV and we see how Aphrodite. Yeah. Yeah. Just. Yeah. No, it's, Agreed. it's Agreed. very good. I, I, I need to register a little bit of discomfort with the way that they talk about. Mm hmm. The suffering. Yep. It's one of those things where, like, if somebody else were writing it, depending on who it was, it might not register with me. It's one of those things where, like, I feel like this is something that somebody I know would say. And if they said it, I would be like, yes. You know what? Go off. Talk about your ancestors and shit. Yeah. But mm -hmm. then when I see it institutionalized or in some sort of context where it is someone trying to speak on behalf of a lot of people and not talk about a specific relationship to their own experiences, it hits different. I, I do get a little, oh, hmm, I, I don't know. Like, maybe it is true that, like, feeling a connection to your ancestry does help you to understand and to process and to persevere in the face of suffering, but also maybe there are deleterious consequences to believing that the birthright of someone who is of a certain marginalized identity is to be good at suffering mm -hmm. as opposed to having other skills, yeah. knowing nice folk tales that help you to understand the world, you know, like knowing how to make good food. There are lots of- It's the enduring suffering thing. It's like, complicated. Yeah. It's complicated because like, I just feel like something has to be registered where we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. No one is better suited to suffer. Let's say that. Mm -hmm. Suffering is bad. No one should do it. We should all be avoiding suffering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Generational trauma is a real thing. Yeah. I feel like what I want to say is that I am super proud of Piper. Yeah. So proud of Piper in this yes. moment. I want to like hug her. I'm so proud of her for stepping up here and for her thinking about her heritage. And I also am uncomfortable a little bit that it's Rick who's writing it. Yeah. Like it's just, it, I think it, it can be both. both. Yeah, it's both. Yeah, and I think that if you read this and this meant a lot to you. It should. Like there's no reason that it should not. Yeah. I mean, if it hit for you, that's wonderful. And also we can also say, well, was Rick the right person to say this? Maybe not. Did he need sensitivity readers? Yes. Um, or I think it's like, all it's of the like both people should be able to feel connected to past experiences of trauma that people have suffered and survived and be like, that is inspiring to me. I feel connected to that. This is helping me to get through something and also to have a supplementary conversation perhaps after that. I don't know, where we get to see the other side of that and be like, that's not all there yeah. is. Like this connection is something that yeah. also yeah. is like bad. And like it's something it reflects something that should not have happened and something that should not have to happen mm -hmm. in the future. We should be working towards having different relationships to that. That is not like sustainable to be like, oh, like they've suffered, therefore mm -hmm. I will be good at suffering and I will continue to leverage this past suffering into me being good at suffering in the present, as opposed to being like, let's re renegotiate that. Yeah. 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 It's like the comment of like, oh, endure suffering, but no interrogation as to why that happened, what that meant, what that means, how that continues to this. Yeah, day. also that. Say the word colonization. Right? <laughs> Just say it once in these Just books. Say it. Say it. I dare you. Give Piper an internal monologue about how she dated the oppressor. I dare you. Like how she felt obligated to date him because he was a white man. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's also interesting because it's like suffering does not seem to be part of Piper's arc. 
but that idea of like fighting back and standing up and coming to find pride in who she is, even though people have told her not to, yeah. you're a daughter Aphrodite, don't take it seriously. Oh, you're Cherokee, but you're not. Yeah, we don't take you seriously. Mm-hmm. It's like finding her identity and finding pride and the suffering thing just felt weird and also like a little bit of like white guilty where it's like, oh, we got to acknowledge it. Can't pretend it didn't happen, but we're not going to really touch it. Yes. Uh, no one thinks Rick Riordan is an evil person. Let's be clear. No. About that. Like, this yeah. is, I'm saying this for the handful of listeners who might be listening to this and are like, they're so hard on him. Rick is not evil. He blessed us with amazing things. To be honest, this writing did still move me. And when I read it, I was like, wow, this yeah. is good. She should be it's equally so appreciative of her, like, super cool kick-ass... Something can be good, and we can still be critical of it. Yeah, yeah, like, her mortal ancestors are, like, sick and cool people, I'm sure. And, like, you should give them lots of credit for things. That's excellent. But then we can also be like, hmm, okay. <laughs> mm, it was 2014. Well, uh, maybe we're a little bit better now. It's fine. We can do all of those things. Let's keep going. Uh, we should keep going. get through this. <laughs> POV. Um, but, yeah, I also think that this big hero... Sp- moment even though she doesn't say it out loud necessarily also again i think mirrors reina's big hero speech everybody is getting big hero moments at the end of this book and it's so satisfying and beautiful yes. to see Ep- epic finale energy and speaking of epic finale energy <laughs> <gasps> avengers assemble it's time yes! Let's go. the power of friendship is upon us it's the cover of the book <laughs> the cover of the book i'm sorry I'm going to say the thing that I said before earlier, but I'm going to get the reference right this time. It's Meet the Robinsons. If you look really closely at the book cover, look at Jason. Mm. Do you have the original book cover? The U.S. book cover. The U.S. original book cover. There is a blonde boy. It is Jason. He's descending from the middle of this storm thing. He's back. He's the only one who's like surrounded by blue as opposed to dark purple on the cover coming down. His glasses are on because as you just remember, he got glasses when we visited the God of Healing. (laughs) He looks like the guy in Meet the Robinsons. He look, What is the guy's name? Yes. The dad? Is that? A, oh my god, that's a spoiler. I just spoiled Meet the Robinsons. Lewis. The movie has been out for decades. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been out since 2007, first of all. And I love that movie. It's an old, old movie. It's true. His name is Lewis. Erica did spoil Spider-Man for you, so... It's part of the course, it feels like, here. Typical. Was that left in? Yeah, I left it in. Wait, I'm sorry. Did we just spoil Spider-Man for the listeners? I'm a little afraid now. No, the movie's been out since September. It's fine. I feel like that's going to get his internet canceled. You're good. (laughs) It's been more than a month. Maybe we should still put a spoiler warning at the beginning that says, watch Meet the Robinsons before you listen to this podcast. (laughs) That is so stupid. I'm not doing that. We are like two pages. We we can do this, gang. I believe in us. Let's do this. We got this. Power friendship. We're not going to read this battle scene, are we? I think we've said what we have to say about this. There's a fight. Um. <laughs> yeah, fight's fine. But then things fall apart very quickly for our heroes because they can't kill the giants. Also, Percy has a nosebleed, so... <laughs> the nosebleed gets me every I'm time. I'm sorry, the nosebleed is iconic. <laughs> They got me. They got me with this one. It's so annoying, but I love the I hate it. I hated it when the book came out. I hate it today. I think it's hilarious. It's so funny. It's really funny. Mm, I don't like it. It's because it's a nose and it's funny. But the pride problem is I don't think it's supposed to be funny. But noses are funny, so the nosebleed is funny. I think it's like both ends. It's the fact that it's such a minute injury, right? Like everything else, like big gash in the thigh and he gets slammed against the wall. That could have done something a little more severe he could have coughed up blood and that could have been blood of olympus the fact that it's a nosebleed is 
fucking hilarious to me. <laughs> it's very Percy Jackson. It's very Percy Jackson. <laughs> For him to be like, seriously, after all of this, Super it's Percy. a freaking yeah. nosebleed that wakes Gaia because I cannot catch a break. <laughs> literally it's like it's not just funny in that it's like a joke joke it is funny in the sense that mirrors the way that we've been going with this book tonally where mm. it is an absurdist post meaning nothing we can do about it yeah okay that's fair there's a note about this in the, in the outline also but like it really does not seem like we are putting even a minimal amount of effort into not having anyone's blood spilled right now we have the seven demigods any of whom could trigger this Going into battle, no one has armor, no one is avoiding the giants, even the most basic of minimal precautions are truly not being taken. So, like, yeah. why the fuck would it not be a nosebleed? <laughs> Before they even set out, I think it's Percy's, like, isn't it literally a trap if you and I specifically go to the Acropolis, Annabeth? And she's like, yep. <laughs> what are we going to do about it? Like, <laughs> And? Yes, and? We're just running it. It's fine. The nose thing, I'm still just like, really? But... I mean, they talk about the prophecy, oh, the blood of Olympus. It feels like it has to be a sacrifice, right? The blood of Olympus will be spilt because they are killed. And their blood is like, oh, we cut your throat. It's gushing out. But it's not. Like, it's Annabeth gets a gash and she bleeds. Percy literally has a single drop of blood that falls from his nose. Here's what I wish we had. I wish we had a quiet subplot. Uh, what's the Hamlet one? Rosencrantz and Gilderstern style. Mm, where we got some mm. slapstick comedy about some monster minions of the giants trying to just to steal a vial of blood from any of the seven. Just literally, clearly, all they needed was a drop of blood. If you would like, literally paper cut Rosen and Clarence get it and there and drop it. someone should write that. That's yeah. a perfect fan fiction. <laughs> yeah, someone do that. And it's just a slapstick comedy all the way around. Just following them around with like thumbtacks on the ground, or they have a fake blood bank. Donate blood. Donate blood, please. Yes. yes. that would be the true Riordan thing mm-hmm. to do. That's hilarious. That's great. Thank you. That's all I have. But also, of course, it would explore what happens to monsters when they vaporize. Both that anyway. Um, we can't do that right now. We... Well, Percy's nose bleeds. It drops onto the stones. The blood of Olympus waters the Acropolis, and the earth shifts as the mother wakes. And that's the end of this POV. Any final thoughts? Loved it. Thought I had a lot of fun with it's it. It's a good time. Yeah, it's a fun sequence. Darian and DJ, will you tell the people where they can find your podcast? Yes, uh, we would love to. You can find podcast episode on literally your favorite podcatcher, wherever it is we'll be there if we're not there please hit us up on instagram at poseidon pod or on twitter and let us know and i will make sure we get there for you thank you guys all for joining us for this piper pov we will be back with the podcast of poseidon next week to talk about some truly delicious (sighs) nico chapters Mm -hmm. we will see you guys there